Hi everyone, I'm Megan, and welcome to Word Crash, the game show where questionable plots compete for your vote to win a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy. Let's meet our contestants. He's a writer and podcaster with a passion for fantasy and a degree in medieval literature. Please welcome the author of A Drowned Kingdom, P.L. Stewart. Hey everybody, how you doing? Thanks Megan for having me. Next, he's a big kid at heart who's always on the hunt for his next vintage collectible, the author of The Grandfather Chronicles, Sean Bell. Awesome to be here, Megan. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Well, nothing left to do but get to it. Let's play Word Crash. Watch out. This is what happens when worlds collide. It's time for character mash. Take two characters and mash their stories together. Sean, what do you have for us today? I took actually two of my favorite characters. I took Dana Scully from The X-Files, one of the best TV sci-fi series I ever watched. And I took Dana Barrett from Ghostbusters. And I combined the two characters together. And why I love to do this, because Dana Scully, who was partners with Fox Mulder on The X-Files, is always trying to debunk the idea that the paranormal exists, that there's a science behind everything. And Dana Barrett, the character from Ghostbusters, is possessed by a demon. So I love the idea of these two characters kind of fighting. I can see this character on on a case with Mulder trying to debunk him and say to him that sci-fi doesn't exist. There's science to everything. Paranormal is overrated. And behind the scenes, she's possessed by this demon. So I think it would be kind of funny to see her trying to play that role. Well, interesting. Let's hone in a little bit on this character. Is she still an X-Files agent? Yes, she would be an X-Files agent. So she would have episodes of being possessed. She'd be putting on this act with Mulder while she's working on this case. And then behind the scenes, the demon would kind of be taunting her saying, hello, like I'm here, the paranormal exists. And then she'd be trying to convince Mulder in the world that demons don't exist. So yeah, she's definitely still an agent with the FBI. Okay, great. Now, PL, what from Dana Barrett can we take besides being possessed by a demon you know there is no dana only zool besides zool zool easily sorry um besides zool what else can we take from dana barrett and put into dana scully i'm obviously convinced she's an alien like extraterrestrials exist dana is alien her powers are all from outer space and she has been sent here to observe humans assimilate them and eventually Bring them back to her home planet. Absolutely. So wait a minute. She was an alien that was supposed to take people back, but she's also possessed by a demon. Is that where you're going with that? The whole thing is demons don't exist. They're aliens, right? People have these conceptions of gods, you know, just like everybody thinks, okay, you know what? How did the Egyptians create the pyramids? Everybody says that they didn't have the technology. A lot of people with ancient astronaut theories uh, suggest that it was aliens that Give them the technology. So I believe that Dana is, she's an alien. Demons, it's simply what people believe are demons are really aliens. That's what we're worried about here. Sean, in Dana's head, does she conceive of this as a demon and not an alien? So did PL just give us the big twist at the end? Yes, I love that idea. I think, yeah, she's definitely an alien because Mulder's ultimate goal as an FBI agent is to prove that the truth is out there, that aliens exist. And he's trying to find this alien. He's trying to prove to himself, to the world, to all his colleagues that aliens exist. And little does he know that his partner's an alien. She's right there. She's helping him on cases. And this alien that works with him has seen everything. She knows the truth. She knows about these unsolved mysteries. She knows how the pyramids have been created. She knows that aliens walk among us. 
and yet she's there watching Mulder completely try and out her but she already knows all the truths. I love that twist. That would be a great X-File. Can you imagine if that's that's how it ended? Like, Dana Scully is an alien. And she's worked with Mulder for all these years. Like, think about that. Think about when Mulder lost his sister when she was abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. Mulder confided in Scully. Like, Mulder mm-hmm. loved Scully, confided in her. And the whole time she's an alien, she knows where Mulder's sister is. She knows what happened to Mulder's sister. She knows all the deep and dark secrets. And she's watching Mulder just spin his tires. I love it. Can we make the alien race the Zool? Bring it back to a little bit of that Ghostbusters? The civilizations like Zool and Gozer, right, are are quite sophisticated. They've been around for millennia. They've been here before. Mm -hmm. People have Mm -hmm. worshipped them. They've built statues. Definitely. I think Zool could easily be an alien. He definitely looks like an alien, yeah. Fantastic. Does Dana know the whole time that she's an alien? Or can we have something where she's a sleeper agent? There's this persona, it's Dana Scully. She's honestly doing what she thinks she's doing. And in her mind, she's got this demon, which is really just that voice, that real her underneath. If we were going to tell this story, we'd want that to be the twist at the end. So how do we start? What's our first indication to the audience that something isn't completely right with Dana? I think she has these moments, these temporary lapses in time. She might mm-hmm. fall asleep and wake up somewhere and not understand how she got there, not understand why she's done something. I think especially before she started working with Mulder, she was a doctor and mm-hmm. maybe she couldn't solve a case. Maybe she was trying to work on a patient and she would wake up and the patient would be fine. So mm-hmm. there are parts of her story that are unexplained that I think she wants to figure out but can't figure out as they're happening. So as she continues Mulder's journey, she's also continuing her journey as to what she's capable of and how she became to how she came to what she is, how she became this this alien and mm-hmm. I think she doesn't know off the bat quite what she is but i think she knows something's wrong and that's kind of her character arc her character driven plot is to find out what she's really all about so we're mashing some ghostbusters into the x-files right what else can we pull from the uh ghostbusters universe to kind of flavor this a little more really mash these two worlds together dana barrett is a character in ghostbusters that essentially the entire franchise revolves around her. Mm-hmm. So I would tend to think supernatural activity and alien activity follow her everywhere. So it doesn't matter where Dana Barrett goes. It doesn't matter what she does. Supernatural and paranormal activity find her. So she can't get away from it. So every time Mulder hangs out with Scully, he goes on an adventure, which of course is only because she attracts attention. Not really that he's a very good detective or investigator at all. He's not unraveling things. He's just there for the ride. Absolutely. And Mulder doesn't want to admit that because as we all know, Fox Mulder has his own missions, but little does he know that his partner is the reason why they're finding the truth that they're finding. So the truth is out there, but the truth can't be found without his partner and the assistance and her story. What happens when Mulder figures out that it's never been about him? 
that nothing he's done has really mattered, that he, he wasn't dragging around Scully on this. He was caught up in her chaotic wake. It's a great question. You know, with Mulder, if he didn't have this mission that he was on, he might end up in a retirement home where his days are filled with playing games with senior citizens and that. Like without Dana, without his partner showing us the way in this particular story, mm-hmm. I think Mulder's life becomes very uninteresting. It does. Most of us don't react well to our perception of the world being challenged or it falling apart like that. Emotionally, what's going to happen to Mulder? Let's walk through that because I think that's an important arc to push against Dana. Well, Mulder becomes the villain. I think when he finds out how much his partner's been hiding from him and how much his partner plays in his epic quest for the discovery of the truth, I think he just snaps. I think when he finds out that everything that he's worked toward, all the clues that he's followed, have have literally led him nowhere. The only reason they've got anywhere is because of his partner. I think he becomes the arch nemesis, the villain of Scully. And I think their partnership ceases to exist. And he becomes the villain, hell-sent on destroying his partner for essentially destroying this this journey that he had that was all false. So I love the idea of paving that road for a villain. He always does something rash, right? He's, he's always the hot-headed one. In this case where he's the villain and he wants to take out Dana, what's his plan for doing this? It's really simple. The key is New York City, okay? Because that's mm-hmm. where everything happens in this, in this Ghostbuster X-Files mm-hmm. mashup. So people in New York City are seeing demons, really. They're aliens. These are aliens or, or Scully's people. So, of course, Mulder's called in, FBI. They're given all the tools, just like the Ghostbuster zappers, try and take out these aliens, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, it's New York City. So where is everything centered? The Empire State Building. Everything happens at the Empire State Building. Scully's got to play along. Her and Mulder go in. They're, they're trying to take out the aliens. The aliens hub is in the Empire State Building. They're going with all the Ghostbuster zappers. They're going to take care of the aliens. But really, these are Scully's people. So she's got to do something about it. But Mulder's got his own designs. He's starting to figure out that Scully's the alien. She's the evil one. They get to the top of the Empire State Building. And you've got this alternate parallel alien universe that everything's centered there. It's like the nexus of all... The alien activity. Scully's going up there thinking, okay, I'm going to be among friends, right? You know what I mean? I'm going to be around all my friends, all my people. But Mulder's got other plans. So when they get into the elevator to go up to the top floor of the Empire State Building, then he just blasts her. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Wait, Not- wait, wait, wait. Are you doing a Marvel elevator <laughs> fight scene? Marvel loves their elevator fight scenes. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of, you know, it's a, it's a little bit, it's a tad. I mean, but... I approve. I approve. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to accuse you like that. I pr- I'm just, I'm trying to keep it clear. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I had in mind. That's kind of what I had in mind. So, so Mother just zaps her with the, with the alien gun. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm not an alien. That's not going to work on me. Like, what's up with that? And then they start to, to fight physically, right? And then they spill out of the elevator. Now they're on the top floor. And the aliens there are going like, what's going on? Why are you, you know, why are you basically fighting our sister? You know, this is, and he's like, I knew it. Like, I knew it. I knew it all along. She was an alien. She's, he's like, how could you do this to me? And he's, he's, Sean said he's hell bent on revenge now. So now she's got to convince him, listen, you know what? 
it's in the best interest of humankind that you keep this secret, okay? Like, people think that there's demons out there, and they think we've been sent to take care of these demons. So up here, you know, we've explained everything to you. We're benevolent. We're not trying to destroy humankind. We're trying to enlighten them and bring them to a higher level of consciousness, higher level of technology. And he's like, I ain't having it. I ain't having mm -hmm. it. So then he starts to try and blast his way out of there. Because the thing about Scully is that she is alien, but she's not full alien. That's why the blast doesn't work on her. But he blasts and takes out all the rest of the aliens. Mm -hmm. So she's like, oh my God, you basically, like, you've destroyed my people, whatever. So he, she chases him. So she, she wants to kill him now because she's taken out her family. He flees down the elevator, right? So now she gets a real, she draws her real gun because he's, he's, he's a human. So they start having this ongoing gun battle all the way down in the Empire State Building. She's firing a real gun with bullets. He's firing the blaster. And like, it's just crazy. They're tearing up parts of the Empire State Building. Pieces are falling off of the ground. People are running because, you know, they don't want to get crushed. It's just, it's just craziness. It's bad. It's just this is so wild Sean, scene. Sean, how do we resolve all this craziness? How do we resolve this craziness? Not to put you on the spot or anything. I think... The alien finds its way out of Scully during this massive firefight, this scene. It senses that Scully is going to be destroyed. It senses mm -hmm. that Mulder is, is so evil. He is just, everything that was good about him is bad. And I think this alien, because this alien is another species, it's, it wants to survive. I think it understands that if it stays in Dana's body, it's going to be destroyed. So I think what happens is, is the alien during this fight leaves Dana's body and finds its way into Mulder's body. So Mulder now becomes the alien. The alien that he was trying to prove that existed ends up becoming part of who he is. And I think in this fit of rage between these two partners, Mulder kills Scully and believes he's killed this alien with Scully when in fact the alien has made its way inside him. And now the whole story begins again with these blackouts and Mulder now has become this, this alien that he, he Dark. wanted to find so badly. And now it's a part of him forever. Oof, this has been ups and downs, ups and downs ending on a dark note, but I like it. I like it a lot. Does anyone have an idea of what we might name this? The darker files. I'm trying to think of something like the alien files, the Zool files, the Zool, the Zool files. files. Yeah, I love the or, Chronicles or the, of uh, Zool. Chronicles of, Chronicles of Zool or Gozer? Go Go uh, Gozer. Gozer. There you go. I like it. I like it. Go Gozer. Because it continues. It just keeps going, right? Yeah. It can just This story can yeah. just keep going. Like Chronicles what happens with Mulder now? The, the Chronicles of Gozer. Chronicles I love it. Gozer. I love it. I like it. I like it. Me like too. It. Yeah. Now it's time for Secret Sauce, where our authors share a tip or strategy they use to keep the creative juices flowing. Sean, what do you got for us today? I'm a big believer, Megan, in keeping yourself inspired. My writing comes from people, memories, and moments that have helped inspire me. Everything you read in my books, in my short stories, relates to something that has inspired me, whether it was a trip to Egypt, whether it was a memory with my grandfather, whether it was meeting someone and learning more about them, whether it was learning something new that I didn't know before I started writing. I'm a big believer in continuing to be inspired and try and help inspire others. 
this inspiration sounds like you're pulling from real life experiences. Absolutely, Megan. I think I was always told, write what you know. Mm -hmm. There's always the opportunity to come up with ideas and be creative and use your imagination to expand. But I use a lot of real life situations and memories and moments. And I use that as my inspiration behind my writing. I create these real life situations and then I turn them upside down or I add elements to them to make them mm -hmm. a, an adventure, to make them part of a fantasy story. But I love keeping realism there because it helps keep the story part of who I am always. And I love that. Fantastic. Can you give us, uh, I don't know, one example? doesn't have to be complicated. Just something you experienced in real life that really fit into your book. I have an unbelievable relationship with my grandfather. I grew up with a single mom, so I didn't have a, a male role model. I had my grandfather for a short time, but I still had him as a young kid. And mm -hmm. he inspired me. He taught me to be who I am. He inspired me to live life. He inspired me to be kind. He inspired me to always be appreciative of what you have, not what you want. He taught me that life is about experiences and the more experiences you have, the better off you will be. And he inspired me to create my Grandfather Chronicles trilogy and he inspired me to be the person I am today. That is amazing to have one person who could who could do so much. I'm, I'm certain he'd be very proud of the things you've done. Thanks, Megan. Thank you very much. PL, do you have any personal life experiences that you've tapped for your work? Everything about my work is based somewhat on personal life experiences or experiences that family members or friends have undergone, particularly because of the themes that permeate my book. For those who aren't familiar, could you name just a couple of them? Just a couple of the themes you're talking about. Racism, sexism, homophobia, mm -hmm. colonialism, privilege, religious intolerance. So those are all things that are part of what I write about. Mm -hmm. And I write about them because we as human beings seem so confounded by these things and have been confounded by these things for a long time. And um, I feel that part of the issue is understanding how these things take root understanding the people that that hold certain views and espouse certain views and the i think what the biggest challenge is and i always say this what do you do with people that hold these views what do you do with them and what if that what if the people that hold these views are a larger percentage of our human population that people want to admit. What do you do with these people? They're part of society. How do you address these issues? Can they change? To what degree can they change? Right? Can you quantify the change? And to what degree, if they can change, will that affect society? How quick does that change have to happen? Those are some of the questions I pose in my books. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I think it starts with looking at some root causes. And that's mm -hmm. why I write what I write. So. And so in order to write this, you're bringing back to these actual experiences of racism or homophobia that you or your friends and your family have actually experienced. Yes. And so almost every vile thing, every racist, homophobic, sexist, intolerant thing, that bigoted thing that my main character says are things that I either heard with my own ears 
watched on TV, said in the media. My family members have told me that they've experienced. I've read in historical accounts that have actually occurred. So they're all based on real life. I'd like to think there's some optimism, not just bleakness in my world, that there is some progression and some evolution towards change in my main character because of his interactions with people from different races and cultures and sexual orientations and things like that, that he grows and evolves because I do believe there's hope for humankind. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that it's bleak. I believe we can get to a point where perhaps it won't be utopian society that you see in some some sci-fi novels or you've seen on TV, but the needle can move towards eradicating some of these issues that have confounded us for, for so long. Well said. Very well said. Well said. Definitely well Thank said. Thank you. It's funny. Both of you were like, oh, I, I channel real life experiences. And I'm thinking to myself, do I actually do that in my work? Am I actually dealing with real life experiences and channeling those? And I think mine are so heavily fictionalized. I can't point to any particular one. Certainly there's things that have happened to people around me certain behaviors that they've had and stuff that I've modeled, steal a little bit from this person, steal a little bit from that person. But you both definitely given me something to think about because I, I don't base things on real life experiences of people. I, I base things on my questions of what if, well, what if some situation that I know exists, even if I haven't personally experienced it, how, how does that, I guess I have some. Wow, you're all really throwing me for a loop. This is a good one. But Megan, if I may, you need what if people in the world. Otherwise, we'll never change. Otherwise, we'll never get to a next level. Otherwise, we'll never... We need people like you, the what ifs, the people who believe that that's possible, the people that believe we can get to a next level. To to echo what PL said, um, I believe I have hope for humanity as well, even during some dark times right now. You need the what if people. You need those types of people to inspire us to believe that we can do better. So don't downsize yourself because you do. That's what if people are necessary in in the world today, especially. I totally Uh, concur. Thank you very much. I just wanted to show the proper amount of reverence for a topic that has not come up yet and something I hadn't thought of. So thank you. So PL, even though you just gave a wonderful contribution, was there a topic today that you wanted to talk about? specifically for secret sauce. I think to go back, Megan, to what you're saying and using Sean's example about what inspires you, I've talked to a lot of writers over the years and all of them want some measure of success. And success is defined in different ways. Some people it's sales, some people it's acclaim, awards, etc. And I think if you asked every writer they would say yes to is this simple question. If you had the opportunity to have your book made into a movie, would you have it done? And almost every one of them would say, yeah, yeah, a movie, a TV show, whatever. So I say, when you're writing your book, if you really want to inspire yourself, pretend that your book has been made to a movie. Visualize it cinematically. And I, I honestly believe that helps with your writing and that can really inspire you. Hey, there's going to be a time when someday someone's going to back up a truckload of money to my house and they're going to... They're going to offer me, my, my book's going to be on Netflix. It's going to be a seven-part serial. It's going to be a big screen movie. And, you know, and, I, and I, I'm a very visual person. So I, I, that honestly really inspires me. Thinking as if my books were movies. And that's how I try to write them. I try to write them cinematically. I try to write them so people can visualize them as if they were a movie. Whether I succeeded or not, I don't know. That's for the reader to decide. But I use that as inspiration 
Now that's one I can relate to. One of the things I do in most of my writing is I get inspired by one of those visuals. In my book, there is a scene where someone jumps from one starship to another. There's a planet underneath, there's gravity. They're just jumping from one to the other. And that picture with the sun coming up over the planet and the feeling of falling and the little wisps of air going by as they jump from from starship to starship, it was getting to that moment that really forced me to write everything before that. Like, I want that scene. What do I need to do to get there? I can totally relate to the visualizing things. How about you, Sean? I actually did the same kind of thing you did. Before I started writing my book, I would go to bed at night. I'd have these scenes in my head that I just pop in there because my imagination is always going. And this is before I had any sort of narrative or story. These scenes would pop in my head and I just knew I had to build the story around these scenes. Like, for example, the very first scene that I came up with is three quarters of the way through the book, right? But I knew I had to build to that scene. I knew I had to get there. I knew where I wanted to go. And for, for example, for my entire trilogy, I know what's happening in the last section of book three. I know how to write it. I know what I want to have happen. Now I have to get myself there and get mm -hmm. the characters mm -hmm. there. And to go back to what PL spoke about and myself and all of us about inspiration, you're inspired to create that story because you want to lead your, your audience and your characters to that moment. So I can definitely relate to that. Someone who was on the show before, Jim Infantino, he talked about, you got to spend time imagining. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we're creatives. We've met lots of creatives and everything starts with imagination. Imagination is the one necessary ingredient that you need to be a musician, a writer, a painter, any kind of artist. And I feel like whatever you can do to nurture your imagination. And we talked about pretending your book is a movie, things from real life, whatever works for you, you know, meditation, reading other people's books or listening to other people's music or whatever you can do to nurture your imagination, that is what makes you better. But it's an ongoing process. It's not linear. You start off thinking about this idea. You may think about the ending of a book before you think about the beginning. You may think about the middle. You keep changing concepts. You add characters, you add plot lines, subplots. In order to do that, it needs to be this constant cycle of imagination being stimulated and more ideas so how do you do that to me that's watching movies you know reading the books listening to music so i can visualize i think that's what it's all about break out your thesaurus and grab your red pen because it's time for drop it in this game we ask our contestant to drop a single letter from the title of a book or movie and tell us what the new plot is pl what letter is getting the axe today well, the letter that's getting the axe today is L. L in the title? Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so what is Ord of the Rings? Ord of the Rings is basically about Ord. And Ord is a composite of two characters. And one of them is the typical Dark Lord, Sauron. Mm -hmm. And the other one is none other than the evil, manipulative, despicable, cunning Swiper from Dora the Explorer. Sauron created these rings. Now, has anybody ever wondered why Swiper keeps swiping stuff? And why the Dark Lord 
makes all these rings and he's always trying to steal them back, right? Well, because they're one and the same person. Like, Swiper is the Dark Lord. And Swiper. his name is really Ord. It's not Swiper. What kind of world do you see this Ord existing in? What is their typical day like now that we understand this about them? The Lord of the Rings takes place largely in this uber-dark, sinister world where a lot of it is about fighting against the Dark Lord, mm -hmm. right? If you look at Dora the Explorer, Dora's world is largely light, fun, and the only really bad thing is Swiper. So if you look at the two worlds, you realize that neither one of them are really an accurate representation of reality. It's got to be somewhere in between. It's a very realistic world where there's good and there's evil and Dora isn't all nice and, and the Dark Lord isn't all bad. And, you know, it's a very realistic world where the typical day is really spent doing what you and I would do. Going to work or school, buying groceries, picking up children or partners, contributing to society, having hobbies and arts and things like that. But there's one distinct difference in this world. And the distinct difference is that in all of this, Swiper, a.k.a. Sauron, the Dark Lord, the one thing that is consistent is that he's created these rings and he's hid them, given them to people. The people don't realize they have them. This is mm -hmm. the big game. He's trying to get these rings back. He's trying to stay entertained. He's a supernatural being that can live for thousands of years and he decided in this game. He's going to plant all these rings, give all these people these rings, and he's going to just spend his day trying to swipe these rings back. And of course, the people are going to say, well, they don't want him to swipe things back. They think he may be trying to take their purse or, you know, take their wallet. So they're all trying to stop them. But meanwhile, he's just playing a game, right? So mm -hmm. that's the universe that has been created. Sean, in this universe where we have a slightly less perfect Dora the Explorer, what's Dora's job and what's Dora's life like if she's not all good? I think she would be a jeweler for talking about swiping rings. She'd run her own jewelry company, right? So I think she'd be actually creating more jewelry, trying to mm -hmm. create more rings, trying to build this game, create not just rings. He starts this massive jewelry company and manufactures rings, but still disperses the nine rings, but creates more than just those rings. He creates a whole line of jewelry that goes viral worldwide. And now you've got, instead of these nine rings, it's like his brand is everywhere. People everywhere are wearing that same kind of jewelry. And... In this midst of this chaos, he's lost track of where the eight rings are because everyone is wearing his new line of jewelry. And it becomes like this world of just swag, ord swag. And I think that's epic. Twitter and social media just catches on. It's viral. Everyone's wearing it and he can't handle it. He's like, he's overwhelmed by, I should be the only one who gets to wear these rings. I created these jewelry for myself and people just are wearing it everywhere. Wait, wait, did you just Dark Lord Tommy Hilfiger? Yes. I just love the idea of creating this like massive brand of like Lord of the Rings. That's awesome. Swag. I think it would be great. Everyone's learning the uh, the dark speech, right? That's right. 
but it's not the dark speech. PL, what have they named it so that it's not the dark speech anymore? It's dark called speech? slang. <laughs> slang. So part of the issue is that Dora is it all innocent and nicey nicey. See, she's into basically knockoff ord goods. I just want my eight original rings back. He doesn't know where they are. And Dora, to try and authenticate her fake stuff, is passing stuff off as, no, no, this is one of the real or original eight rings. But you want to get this, you're going to have to pull out your black card. This is serious stuff. So, and Ord's like, you know, my stuff is being knocked off and I got to find these rings. But Dora's clever. So she's giving these rings to like her abuela. You know, abuela who's so sweet and nice and everything. Like, abuela's got some rings. The mice, are they mice? Just the time to admit that I've never seen Dora the Explorer. <laughs> Uh, Megan, I'm uh, same thing, Megan. <laughs> All I know is Dora, and she's a cute little girl, yeah. and uh, and swiper no swipe. You know, swiper no swiping. All I know. So I don't know if you understand that I'm faking it right now. That's okay. This is definitely this is definitely not going in the episode where I talk about faking it. Okay, um, we're all faking it, right? So yeah, it was the little mar- mariachi band, right? So they have yeah. some. She's basically how though this knockoff stuff, these knockoff rings. Swiper, aka Sarah, and he doesn't know where his, his real stuff is. All he wants to do is have this huge, big auction, right? Where he's going to sell off his original stuff at the highest bidder. He's going to get millions of dollars for it. But Dora's got his stuff and he doesn't know where it is. And, mm. you know, so he's trying to swipe stuff from her. And it's like, this is fake. He throws it out. He's like, oh. Nah, this is fake. And he, he doesn't know where the real stuff is. And that's why he's swiping. He's the Dark Lord. So that means he gets to like teleport places and use magic and stuff trying to swipe these rings. How does the world take this? Does the world know or not? I mean, is Twitter going to be like, oh, we found Swiper. We found Ord. My stuff got stolen again. I must be, it must be Ord. People know that Ord's looking for his stuff. Right? He keeps swiping stuff and that's not making him popular. So eventually, and then he started putting out on Twitter, hey, you know what? I'm the original creators of these rings, but you know how it, it can be perceived as, you know, cyberbullying. So he got canceled. Anytime someone's canceled, there's always people who become even more loyal to that person. Yeah. Yeah. So right? Ord created his own social network now. It's just called Ord. That's the name of it. It's just called Ord. And as long as you're on his side, you get a blue check mark. And you won't get a high-end ring, but with the package of joining Ord, you get a decently expensive ring to go along with that. Of course, he wants you to post pictures flashing his merchandise stuff. And if you are one of the people that finds one of his rings, then he says, well, you're going to get to keep it. So he's got this whole social media thing going and all those people are influential and they're trying to encourage other people to get his rings back. But meanwhile, you know, Dora's just, she keeps peddling all this fake stuff. And, you know, he keeps trying to swipe stuff. Or even though he's canceled, that doesn't stop him from showing up in these weird places, walking around, and suddenly there's Swiper out of nowhere on a rock, and he's creeping up on her. And she's like, no swiping. No swiping. I could see Swiper no swiping becoming a hashtag. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I could also see all kinds of other ramifications of this no swiping thing becoming a big deal. Like, Tinder has to change its UI. Yep. yep. You know, because swiping's bad now. Yep. Swipe. swipe right, swipe left, doesn't matter. What's also happened is that major chains like Walmart, Starbucks, 
Amazon, they're all facing anti-swiping protests because they support big business. Or, you know, he's got a lot of money. They're facing all these protests. They're using stocks and shares. And at the same time, they want to find this stuff themselves. They're wondering if they have any of these rings in their inventory. They're having their employees spend hours and they're paying all kinds of overtime to have their employees look through all their inventory and see if they actually have these rings. It's driving up the prices of gas. It's creating world chaos until these rings are found. The internet is crashing constantly because people can say, oh, I found the rings. And then, you know, like, Everybody starts following that person and then, you know, it's creating chaos, absolute chaos. This idea of stores getting involved and Walmart saying, maybe we have one of the original rings somewhere and getting their employees to do stuff. That kind of reminds me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I think it was Veruca Salt's father set all of his workers to opening the different chocolates so that she could get a golden ticket. Could just see right. that same exact scene playing out here. Some big person at Walmart, one of the Waltons, fictionalized Walton, it'll be Fallmart, yeah, one Fall of the Waltons, right? <laughs> Having people open up things to find a ring. Maybe they find what maybe they don't. But Sean, with all this chaos in the world, what's Dora going to do that finally brings things back together? What can she possibly do in this world where everyone's going crazy about jewelry? I think the only thing Dora can do is she has to challenge Org. This world is on fire over these rings. Ord kind of underestimated humanity and thought, oh, I'm a god. I'm going to put these rings out there and find them. But humanity will always find a way to endure. And I think Dora secretly works with the people who find the real rings and teaches them to be able to battle with Ord and ultimately destroy him. What Ord doesn't know is that Dora knows all of Ord's inner secrets. So he's training the people with these rings to try and overthrow Ord and ultimately bring peace back to the world. In Lord of the Rings, a lot of the big fight stuff was really just a distraction so that Frodo and Samwise could go and actually destroy the one ring. With all this crazy social media stuff that's going on and in all this, we'll train you and we'll fight. Who's the background character in this? Who's the Frodo and Samwise of this story? I'm going to say that the real background character is Abuela. Hmm? And the reason why is that Doris entrusted Abuela with some of the real rings. But nobody suspects hmm? Abuela. She's a sweet hmm? elderly lady and she's really kind and nice and gives all the kids treats. And she's even nice to Swiper slash Ord. Dora is the hero because, as Sean says, the forces are mounting to take out Ord. But Abuela doesn't believe in violence. She's a pacifist. She wants harmony and peace and, you know, whatever. So she actually is the one that saves the day. First of all, she says, okay, listen, Ord, um, you can't have all your rings back because that would destabilize world markets. But I have one ring. So you can have this one ring on one condition before all these forces that Sean is saying converge on you to take you out. You get into your yacht you have offshore accounts and you have a little haven island a few thousand miles away so you take this one ring and you take off and we don't see you again you divest yourself of your businesses you resign as the head of all your corporations and you, you take a nice check and you know you take this ring and and you take off i mean or didn't exactly do things on the up and up. he listened to her and he mm -hmm. said you know what i thank you so much about i'm gonna take this opportunity he did 
kind of do some tricky stuff. He did sell his shares really high so he'd get some extra cash just to help fund his lifestyle. But he did take off. So when all the forces converged on his stronghold, or was he's in his offshore island with, with the one ring. And people felt betrayed and they canceled his social media platform and a bunch of people are crying foul, but it brought peace. And Dora has the rest of the rings. There wasn't this big global conflict. So Abuela was the real hero of the story. And Abuela saves the day. Before we go, it's time to give our authors a chance to talk about what's new and exciting in their lives. Sean, what's new and exciting in your life? Well, Megan, I'm thrilled to announce that I have had nothing but great success with book number one of my Grandfather Chronicles trilogy, The Secret of the Sword. The response has been amazing. People have been so supportive. I've met so many tremendous people through podcasts and interviews and just interacting with unbelievable customers who have been nothing but supportive. And I'm thrilled to announce that I am three quarters of the way through book number two of the Grandfather Chronicles series. The title of that book is called The Legend of the Black Seal. I'm very excited to be working on that book and almost have it finished. And it should be out by, it will be out by Christmas this year, 2022. So thrilled to continue the adventure and can't thank everyone enough for all the support. It's just been a wild ride and I've enjoyed every minute of it. It's a big deal anytime you finish a book and it's especially amazing when people like whatever it is that you read. So congratulations on the first book and I hope to get to your second book. But really, I think everyone wants to know What's the Grandfather Chronicles? The Grandfather Chronicles is a legacy that a grandfather has left for his grandson about a secret organization operating in the shadows that controls how the world is perceived around them. And book two really defines that line between reality and fantasy. And where can people buy the first book in the series? So The Grandfather Chronicles, The Secret of the Sword, is available online on all major online book retailers. For more information on where the book is available near you, you can visit www.thegrandfatherchronicles.com. That's where I direct people to. And from there, there's a lot of information on where they can get the book, depending on where they're from. There's a contact form to contact me where they can find out more information or where they can have the book mailed out to them. So I always direct people to thegrandfatherchronicles.com. And where can people find you on social media? The Facebook is The Grandfather Chronicles, again, one word. I am on Twitter at Sean, S-E-A-N-R Bell. And I'm on Twitter all the time as an author. And that's where I promote The Grandfather Chronicles and anything to do with fantasy and the wonderful people I've met in the author community. And I'm also on Instagram at the Grandfather Chronicles as well. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Fantastic. Well, check out the Grandfather Chronicles. Thank you, Megan. PL, what's new and exciting in your life? Sean, congratulations on the next book. Can't wait to read it. Loved your first book. I am currently working on book three of the John Kingdom saga. It's called Lord and King. The second book called... Wait, wait, wait. Did you say Lord and King or Ord and King? <laughs> no, it's actually Lord, Lord and King. <laughs> and it's book three of the uh, the John King of Saga. Book two called The Last of the Atalanteans was recently released in March of 2022. I am also working on a secret project I can't quite disclose yet, but I'll let people know about that in, hopefully in the coming months. Things are going really well. Uh, the reception, like Sean, I'm very blessed that the reception to the first two books has it's they've been very well received. I'm very honored about that. My fingers in a lot of pies with the wonderful Steve Talks books 
who is a fantastic YouTuber, blogger. I co-host Page Chewing, which is an author interview feature that we do. And Sean's been on that and it was great blessed yes. to have him and looking forward to having you as well, Megan, in the future. So I'm also an assistant editor for Before We Go Blog, led by the wonderful Beth Tabler. I'm kind of busy, but it's all busy and productive and, and good. For those interested, can you talk a little bit about what your book's about, especially that first one for people who want to jump in? Okay, so the first book of John Kingdom is essentially based on my version of The Lost Realm of Atlantis. It follows the destruction of Atlantis, which was kind of an elite colonialist society. And after it falls, there are survivors. Those survivors are led by a rather flawed and bigoted character. And this character takes his people, flees the destruction, and tries to establish himself as a warlord in a new continent where he must face many challenges, including challenging his belief system. And as he tries to impose his monotheistic religion on the inhabitants of this new realm, and of course they don't want that to happen, he must confront the battle, mages, and the temptation, potentially en route to becoming a new great power in this land. So that's what the first book is about. Is this like evil Aquaman? <laughs> no, no, there's nobody with fins or there's no mermaids. This is a flesh and blood a human being type person that was very flawed and as I said and has lots of issues and he goes through lots of crises faces challenges the whole series the premise is to see whether or not he can evolve and change some of his views and and what that means for his people and what that means for the rest of the world so that's what the book is about and the series so the first book is A Drowned Kingdom, yes, which you can find on Amazon, all the Ingram platforms, Barnes and Nobles, BookBub, anywhere that Ingram distributes books. And of course, on Friesen Press, like Sean, I'm published with a company called Friesen Press, so you can buy the book directly from them as well, and it can be shipped anywhere in the world. You can message me and I do author signed copies as well. And you said there's a second book out too, right? So the second book is The Last of the Atalanteans that was released in March of 2022. And I'm currently working on the third book, which is called Lord and King. And I expect that to be released sometime in the spring of 2023. Well, congratulations. Getting through an entire trilogy is a huge deal. And I hope people check everything out. It's actually a seven book series. I'll have yeah. to look up what the terminology for a seven book series is. I've actually never done that. A seven-sided geometric figure is a septagon. Yeah, septilogy. There you go. Well, thank you for that. Yes, thank you for explaining <laughs> that. that. A septilogy. So I hope that people are in it for seven books. And where can people find you on social media? Predominantly, I'm on Twitter. It's at PL Stewart Writes. I'm typically on Twitter a lot. <laughs> I'm also on Facebook. Same handle at PL Stewart Writes. And on Instagram with the dots in between the, the PL Stewarts. But if you want to reach me, Twitter is the best place. My DMs are open. I love to hear from creatives. I love to talk writing and books and fantasy. And also check out Steve Talks Books, a YouTube channel for page chewing, which I co-host on his channel. Check out our author interviews. I think they're fantastic. We get to chat to creatives about writing and their books and their works. And I think it's a, a really interesting series. And we love to feature and promote authors. Thank you very much for inviting me to your podcast also. Sounds like it's going to be great. Oh, we're honored and excited to have you. Looking forward to it. So, which pitch deserves a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy? Was it The Gozer Chronicles or Ord of the Rings? You tell us. Tweet us at Word Crash Game and vote for your favorite story of the night. 
If you're listening on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe and get in those comments to tell us how you would tackle our questions today. Everything we talked about will be in the links below. Thank you for listening. I'm Megan, and this has been Word Crash. I remind you to always get creative.